So 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Saviour, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the holy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to a faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Thank you, Cathy. Evening, everybody. Yeah, it's that sort of evening, isn't it? Um, 
I wonder if you can uh, just think about your favorite garden. Uh, here's a picture of mine, hopefully. There it is. It, no, that's not my garden. You're thinking that's not my garden, don't worry. <laughs> so, but what's your favorite garden? Um, where you go, that sort of beautiful, pristine, uh, all the flowers in a row, beautiful flowers, um, somewhere that's very sort of peaceful. And then imagine that you, you come back a time later, I don't know, a few years later, and it's like this. It's just completely uh, all over the place. This really is much more like my garden. I mean, what would you do? If you, if you, if you own the garden, then I, I guess you would do two things. Firstly, you would just sack whoever was in charge of looking after it. It's like, you've got to get out of here because you are not doing a good job. Uh, and then secondly, you, you're going to need to get involved. You're going to have to start pulling out the weeds, uh, restoring it uh, back. Well, this evening, um, we're beginning this letter of Paul to Timothy. And it's to a church that that he planted about 15 years ago. A church that that began looking like a pristine garden. But when he comes back again, it's all gone a bit wrong. So this uh, is Paul's letter to Timothy instructing what he needs to do. So with that in mind, uh, let's pray uh, as we begin. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's good. Uh, And we pray that as we uh, look a little bit more at this letter this evening and throughout the coming weeks, uh, that you would help us not simply understand uh, what Paul is saying, but more so, just see the goodness of the gospel. Uh, treasure it more for ourselves and want to contend for it more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so as I said, uh, uh, Paul is the one who, who, who wrote this letter. You can see uh, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, uh, our hope. Uh, Paul, uh, the apostle, the, the sent one, Uh, the one who's been specifically commissioned uh, by God, who has uh, the authority uh, of the Lord as he writes, as he speaks. Uh, And he's sending it to uh, Timothy. Timothy, his uh, true son in the faith, verse 2. Obviously, he's not his biological son, uh, rather his spiritual son. Uh, Timothy was... Uh, born and bred in Lystra. And he came to New Paul, and uh, and Paul saw him as his spiritual son in the faith, who who wanted to encourage him and sent him off. Uh, Just listen to what he says uh, in Philippians chapter 2. When speaking about Timothy, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Uh, For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Uh, But you know that Timothy has proved himself because of the son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Uh, Timothy is somebody who's precious to Paul. 
uh, but also somebody who's trustworthy uh, and somebody who has absolute integrity. Uh, And it's to Timothy that Paul writes. So on, on the one hand, this letter is a personal letter. It is from the, the father to the son. Uh, but as uh, Nick mentioned last week, it is as if we're, we're looking over the shoulder of Timothy as he reads it. But both because actually, uh, as we're going to see throughout the letter, uh, it's sort of implicit that others will be reading it, that the church will, will read it. It gives Timothy his sort of authority for, for leading, but also because it's recorded right here in the scriptures for us. We're meant to be sort of peering over the shoulder on sort of multiple levels. But why, though, is he writing? Uh, Why is Paul uh, getting into uh, this letter? Well, well, verses three and four. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. There is no kind of uh, greeting, apart from that initial one, very beginning. It's straight in there. Timothy, you've got to stop these people teaching. They're teaching false doctrine they're teaching something which is not in accord with the goodness of the Lord Jesus. Uh, specifically, as, as we sort of come to find out, that they're emphasizing, saying, actually, to, to, to become a Christian, you've got to follow all of this Jewish law. You've got to do all of these, these things, to kind of all the hoops to jump through. Uh, and then you've got to also, they were con- Vince about these genealogies and myths. See, the church is drifting. As we said, Paul went there, planted it 15 years ago, but over the course of those 15 years, they've just drifted away. They've moved slowly away from Jesus. Just like all of those stories that we're probably going to have this summer as well. You know, I was sat in my little dinghy, I was tied by a rope to the shore. And before I knew it, the rope had gone and I was a mile out to sea. Do you know the story that you get in the paper? But they always end up, before I knew it, just drifting away, slowly, quietly. Before they knew it, this church had just drifted away. Uh, And so... Paul here is saying, you've got to stop it. You've got to stop it. And so the big problem this church has is what we might call legalism. This sense of of saying, well, I, I, I'm a good Christian because I do these things. Or I'm a, I'm a bad Christian because I don't do these things. Uh, oh, God uh, accepts me. I'm, a, I'm part of God's family uh, because I follow these rules and laws. Oh, God does not accept me because I don't do this. It, it was the separation 
of faith in Christ from work. And it led to division. The result of this wasn't simply moving away from Christ. It was also, uh, did you see verse 4, controversial speculations. It was dividing the church family. And so Paul says, stop. Stop. And he says this not because he wants to be difficult, but for two reasons. Verse 5, the goal of this command is love. So actually, his command itself is not given to be a pain in the the backside. It's given because he loves them. Because the path they're going down is leading away. It's leading to death. And he loves his people. So, So he says the hard words because he loves them. And the result of which will be love amongst the people as well. Because that's what the gospel leads to. It leads to love. But just as uh, Paul is saying this, it's almost as if he uh, imagines a question that, that may be arising in Timothy's head. And it's this, it's saying, well, is the, is the Lord bad then? Is this law, is it, is it bad? And then he sort of just, just has this little uh, sidestep from verses uh, 8 to 17. Uh, and he says, verse 8, We know that the law is good. So no, it's not bad. The law is good if it's used properly. So how then is the law? By the law, what we mean is, uh, we mean primarily those sort of Old Testament laws you might be thinking of, those, those first parts of the Bible, the Ten Commandments and others that we could push too. But, but that sense of, of the law, of commands that God makes, well, how, how, how are they good? Well, there are three ways. Uh, the first is that it reveals sin. You wouldn't know what sin was if we didn't have the law. So it's like a mirror that, that shows you that you're in need. It reveals that actually that we do need help. Galatians 3 tells us it. It takes us to Jesus. It shows us that on our own, we're not right. Uh, But secondly, uh, it also um, restrains evil. Romans 13 says that the Lord's placed authorities, governments in place. Uh, They make laws and they have due uh, consequences to breaking them, but it restrains evil. Uh, There is less theft and murder in our society because there are theft and murder murder laws. Uh, It it restrains evil. Uh, But thirdly, it also becomes a a path to follow, Ephesians 2. It's that sense of uh, having been given Christ, having gained Christ by faith, this is how we live. This is the path to walk. But what it cannot do, it cannot save you. It cannot bring life. Uh, You can't go, I've got the law, I'll be okay, I don't need Jesus. It can't do that. And that's exactly what the false teachers are saying. Got the law, you'll be fine. No. 
The law cannot do that. It was never meant to do that. That you're using the law in a wrong way. The law is meant to reveal our sin, uh, restrain evil, and be that sort of path to live by. But it's not a salvation vehicle. Uh, And just to kind of push that forward, uh, that's what Paul sort of expresses in verses 9 to 11. He, he sort of says, look, that's why the law, verse 9, Lord has made those who, sorry, the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers. And he just expands the, kind of the breadth and the width and the depth of, of who the law is for and what it came to do. The law is not for the righteous, not to make us holy, but for the lawbreakers to show us our sin, to restrain evil and help us to know which way to go. But also, Paul then sort of jumps on and says, he's almost imagining him saying, well, the false teachers might be saying, well, what authority do you have? And he's saying, look, I I didn't appoint myself to this role. I didn't jump in saying, oh, I'll show you what to do, I know. No, he says, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Paul was appointed, not by men or himself, saying, oh, you know, I'll be the example. Paul was appointed by Christ. And in fact, if you were looking at somebody who was a good example, a kind of a top of your list, you wouldn't pick Paul. Verse 13, he he was a a blasphemer and a persecutor, a violent man. He's not the guy you pick because of his credentials. So why did the Lord pick him? Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It's because of God's goodness and grace And so then we get the first of these sort of trustworthy sayings, which sort of just flows from Paul's mouth, verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Paul's saying, look, my sin didn't disqualify me from Christ coming to save me. He didn't look upon me and go, well, you haven't sorted yourself out. I'm going to go somewhere else. No, he says, look, Jesus' mission was to come to save sinners. That's what he came to do. So if he can come for me, the chief of sinners, but he can come for you too. Jesus came for sinners. He didn't look at the world and say they'd better clean themselves up a bit first. Because if you were to go on the street and ask Joe Bloggs what what they thought it was to be a Christian, I I wouldn't be surprised if if people said stuff like, well, it's being good and following God, which are, are good answers. but it's not the gospel. And 
I don't know about you, but actually I wonder if sometimes part of that thinking comes into my head as well. Part of that thinking that says, Jesus has saved me, but I can, I can kind of help Jesus out a little bit. By the things that I do, I can kind of contribute a little bit to the way that God feels about me. So God will feel better about me, love me more, if I follow the rules. But then what happens when I don't do that? When actually I realise that I have made mistakes. If I think that about kind of the, the good things, about contributing to my salvation, when I do the bad things, and I'm just going to want to crawl away and hide. But Paul reminds us, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came for people like you and for me. We're accepted, loved, not because of who we are, but because of what he has done. This evening, we're reminded that in our best moments and in our worst moments, the love of Christ doesn't change. And I need to hear that. But that's why Paul, who, who would say he has every reason for Jesus to go, look, you are useless, says, look, if I've been shown mercy and grace, then I'm an example that, that anyone can. Verse 16, that, that, that Jesus showed his immense patience with me so that anybody can see that the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners, can be shown grace than anyone can. Uh, so he just bursts forth in that great verse, verse 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. If we're more Pentecostal, we'd all shout amen as well. But don't worry, we're British, it's fine. But the gospel is true. Paul is saying the gospel is the thing that marks out the Christians. It is faith in Christ that you hold on to. The law is good because it helps us to see Jesus. The law is good because it helps us to run to Jesus. And so he says, Back to his train of thought again, verse 18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command, this, this strong sort of military word, command. Hold on to the faith. Because if you don't, and if the church doesn't, this is an issue of life and death. Just look at Hymenaeus and Alexander. They have shipwrecked their faith. It doesn't say, look, look at Hymenaeus and Alexander. They're going a little bit off course. It isn't say that they're just taking a different path to you. He says they've shipwrecked their faith. They've destroyed it. It's ca catastrophic. 
And so because of that, that's why he says, verse 20, uh, I've handed over to Satan. Uh, And that sounds strong, and it is, but, but what he means by that is he's treating them as if they're not Christians. He's treating them as if they're not Christians. Why? So that they may come back to Christ. He's doing it out of love. Because if he treats them like they are Christians, they'll go on living their shipwrecked faith, which is no faith at all. So he calls them back so that they may come back, which is what he means by torch, not to blaspheme, to come back to faith. So what does this uh, mean? Well, just as we think about this, let me tell you uh, about Thomas Bilney. Uh, He was uh, born at the end of the the 1400s. He trained as a a priest. Uh, But as a priest, he, he questions saying, well, how can I be truly right with God? Which is a good question to ask, preferably before you're a priest. But but it's a good question to ask. Uh, And then he read 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. Christ came to sinners, of whom I'm the, the chief, the worst. And he realized saying, if God could show mercy to Paul, grace to Paul, then why not me? And at that moment, he put his hope in Christ. He, he became a new man. He shared the gospel of all, including with people uh, like Hugh Latimer, which the Latimer room is named after. Do you want to talk about Hugh Latimer? Read the sign in the Latimer room. Uh, and in that day, uh, it, it was illegal to profess such faith in Christ. Uh, So he was charged with heresy uh, and told to recant. And he did. He recanted his faith. And he felt awful, to put it mildly. But then he also remembered the words of 1 Timothy 1.15 are still true. Forgiveness is still there. So with that fresh understanding that even to someone who recanted his faith, God's grace is still there, so big and so free, that he gained a new zeal and was in fact then burned as a martyr, the first martyr of the Reformation. But why sort of share that story? Well, well Thomas was somebody who, who treasured Christ held on to the gospel of grace and fought for the gospel, held for the gospel. So we need to do the same. Uh, It it might be that this evening you're somebody who's not a Christian. Then these words that Christ came for sinners is true. That actually, uh, this is a, the gospel of grace says, uh, don't sort of try harder. Don't pull your, your socks up and be a better person. The gospel is come to Christ, the one who left the, the home of heaven, who was born in as a baby, who really lived, who suffered, who died and rose again for you. Not in your cleaned up state, but who you are tonight. 
to come to bring you home. But if we are Christians here this evening, then we need to remember to treasure Christ and to fight for the gospel. To, to remember that the gospel is, it is not about pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's about trusting Christ. It's about holding on to him, about remembering that his love for me is so big. There's more mercy and grace in Christ than there is sin in me. And I've got to fill my head and my heart with that. I've got to sing songs, not just on a Sunday, but throughout the week, to lift up my heart to him, to, to read the Bible, not because I must, but because I can. Because why wouldn't I want to? To read this goodness and love, to meet with Christians, not because I must, but because isn't it good to look at each other and say, yes, brother, sister. But also, uh, just to take these in reverse order, uh, uh, pray, pray for leaders. Uh, there are so many churches where we could say they once held the gospel, but they've drifted away. Churches that first take the gospel for granted, then assume the gospel, then lose the gospel. Pray for leaders here to, to, to hold fast to Christ, to, to make Christ known. Pray that also for leaders more broadly for the Church of England. Uh, contend for the gospel wherever you are. Uh, encourage leaders by contending with them, standing up with them, sharing with them, helping them. And lastly, maybe even thinking about contending in a real way, stand up for PCC. We, we have vacancies, we have free nominations, but you might want to join. Deanery Synod, uh, we have spaces there. Uh, Deanery Synod is a chance, not just as a, a, a meeting to, to hear about sort of finances, it's a chance to contend for the faith in our local area. Uh, and crucially, actually, to vote for people in a few years' time who will contend at General Synod on our national scale that will literally shape the, the, the future of the Church of England. Contend for Christ, hold fast. Let's come back to our two images. The, gospel's a, the gospel church is a beautiful garden. It can drift, like the church here in Ephesus. So Paul is commanding Timothy, You've got to do something. First is, you've got to stop people teaching because here's the thing. For a letter that's going to hit huge amounts of behavior, the first thing he says is, right doctrine leads to right behavior. So let's pray that we may be those that hold to the right belief about Christ, knowing that it will therefore bring about how we live so that we can have our hit God's church as that beautiful garden displaying the goodness of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that it is good. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that you may help us to hold fast to the gospel, to contend for it and to pray for our leaders and for all, that they may be those who want to display the glorious beauty of Christ who came to save sinners. In Jesus' name, amen.